0: Thanks be to God. Well, maybe you're more awake now than you were just a few moments ago. Um, I'd like to invite anyone who is uh, ages three and four, if they'd like to uh, participate in Children's Church, you can join right over there, the people who are already there. Um, and, and as they are uh, moving in that direction, I uh, invite you to join with me in praying both for them and for us as we spend time together in God's Word. Would you please pray with me? Father, we remember before you that your Word is sacred, that in your Word is life, and that your Word is living, that you speak to us in it, even when the Word you speak to us seems strange and foreign to us. And so we ask, Lord, as we have just heard your word and we continue to seek to listen to it, that you would help us do exactly that, that you would help us to hear you, that you would help me to speak with clarity and faithfulness, that, Lord, you would strengthen your church and glorify your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I don't know how the reading of this psalm affected you. It's one of those ones where if you blink, you kind of miss it. I, I think this is a fun psalm because it is so weird. I mean, it's a strange psalm to me, at least. Uh, uh, maybe you feel different, but I'm assuming many of you go, you know, I'm not sure I get that whole oil running down the beard. I don't think I saw many people just nodding. Yeah, Mount Hermon, the dew, that is so good. It's, it, feels, it feels foreign, doesn't it? But there is something, and Nick has already kind of highlighted for us where we're going, there is something actually really straightforward and significant about what it is telling us. And what it is saying to us is that true unity is worth the work. True unity is, is worth the the work, which might not seem actually like that extraordinary of a statement. It might seem like, yeah, we all agree with it. But I actually think that we don't often understand the kind of unity that is true unity. In our, in our culture, in our day, I think the most common kind of unity that people are experiencing is what we might consider to be a kind of a superficial kind of unity. I, I, I refer to it as Facebook unity. So some of you might be on Facebook, some of you might not. Those of you who are not, I admire you, I appreciate it. But for those of you who are, um, you know how Facebook seems to do a remarkable job at, at kind of sorting us into tribes. So sometimes that's like with Facebook groups, maybe you have joined a Facebook group, maybe it was even suggested for you, maybe like sometime you saw something that said, join this group, Hinsdalians for Good Umbrellas, or something like that, and you're like, yes, finally someone, and you join the group, and you hear all these people talking about how we need to up our umbrella game within Hinsdale, and we talk about different kinds of material and structures of umbrellas, and we feel connected, or, or maybe it's not that. Maybe it's just if you're in Facebook, sometimes you'll just, you know, you'll post an article, maybe something political, maybe something about medicine or something like that. And there'll be some people who might disagree with you and, you know, you mute them. But then the people who agree with you, they, you know, they give you like those thumbs up and then maybe they say something positive and then you notice them when they post another article and you give them a thumbs up and, and people are feeling good and you feel more and more aligned with a group. You have found a tribe. And you feel a kind of unity. But it is a Facebook unity. And as I said, I know many of us are not in Facebook, but I would suggest that, that that way of feeling connected is the primary way that we even think of unity in our time and in our culture. It is a unity based on affinity where we sort ourselves only with people who are like us. And it is a unity that is very Controlled. If I am part of a group, they don't have to know anything about me except that I like umbrellas. I don't have to spend time with them in a physical presence and, and experience the awkwardness of conversation. I, I'm able to make it as convenient and managed and tidy and painless as possible. That is Facebook unity that our culture kind of gets as the primary way of doing unity. But if you'll notice that when our passage is speaking about unity, it speaks about it in a different way. How delightfully good when brothers live together. I have three brothers, and um, sometimes in the summer, our families all get together. My parents oftentimes will join us, so it'll be like 21 people who will be living all in the same house. And if you've ever lived in the same house, kind of like for a family reunion, you know it can be kind of complicated. Um, Jennifer can tell you that all four of us have strong personalities, uh, strong opinions, and our opinions don't always agree. We have sometimes different philosophies on parenting, different philosophies on how to make decisions. We wouldn't always be Facebook friends, if you will, on some of these issues. And... um, I guess you could say we're pretty competitive. It, it may or may not be true that we spent over an hour discussing the finer rules of croquet on one of our times of coming together. Uh, I'm not sure we actually ever came to an agreement. My, my point is that when brothers are living together, it can be messy. It's finding harmony like that is, is much more complicated and harder. And what I'm wanting us to recognize is that this is not saying how delightfully good it is when someone you barely know smashes that like button on your YouTube video. And it's not even saying how delightfully good it is when lots of emotionally healthy and attractive people come and have appropriate nice conversations and they all hug it out at the end no what this is talking about is when brothers and sisters the people of god live together and get in each other's business and have the weird times where someone likes to overshare and you're just listening and the other time when someone is really socially awkward and you never know how to keep the conversation going and and maybe you have strong opinions that people feel like they need to kind of push back and maybe you have friends whose parenting style drives you crazy How delightfully good it is when these people live together in each other's lives. That's that's what our psalm is saying. And I would suggest that when we understand that's what this is saying, we might recognize that our culture, if you look at how we act, doesn't actually believe that. We've spoken in previous times of how, right now, it seems like there's kind of a a, a gradual disintegrating. Um, You know, a few generations ago, we needed to live more connected to family, towards each other, because that's just how we survived. But technology has made it easier and easier to be on our own. We can order everything online, and now that it's possible, it seems more and more people are moving away from each other. Fewer people than ever before, percentage-wise, are getting married. Fewer people than ever before are staying in the same place where they grew up and staying close to family. We are further and further apart from each other. And you can even see this trend in churches. Uh, Here's just a strange thought, at least for me when I think about it. If you were a typical churchgoer a few generations ago, you would be baptized, married, and buried all by the same church. And in the intervening years, you would likely be attending and knowing the same people, the same people that you didn't choose, they were chosen for you, the same people who might disagree with you, but you were in their lives and they were in yours, and that's the way it worked. But now we know it's different, right? You know, the typical church coer today, oftentimes the experience will be to step into a large church with a light stark where you can maintain anonymity as long as you want. And if there's a time where you find the the pastor or someone else in the church says something or does something that you just don't like, you can just go down the street and find another one. In some ways, it's a style that forges a Facebook kind of unity. And my point in this is not to say, hey, I wish we could go back to the good old days because if we know anything about a few generations ago, we know there were lots of problems of that time too. There's not anything better about that. My point is just to help us to get a sense of historically speaking, how weird we are right now. How, how disintegrated we are by anyone's standards. Even if you went to the majority world, they would say, why are you so far apart? And to point that out so that we could recognize, maybe my instincts and my thinking about what is normal might be off. Maybe we are more predisposed to saying separate from each other than we should be. Now, any moment of honesty will help us to understand why it is that we are inclined to do that. Because if we're really talking about what I just spoke of, that messiness of trying to be connected to each other when they're different people in real living together kind of unity, we know it is costly. It involves working through differences. It involves being patient with each other's faults. It involves forgiving real hurt. And it and it can cost us time and energy and comfort. We can be emotionally exhausted by working towards or for this kind of togetherness. And here's the thing. Even when we invest, sometimes it feels like we fail anyway. Sometimes it feels like this level of harmony and community is just impossible and so it is easy for us to conclude (laughs) it's not worth it it's not worth the work you know c.s lewis wrote to love at all is to be vulnerable love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken and we get that. And I think that's one of the reasons why we stay a bit more disconnected from each other because, because it doesn't sometimes seem worth it. But here's what Lewis goes on to say he says, If you want to make sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock It up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness, but in that casket safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all dangers and perturbations of love is hell. Our psalm calls us to something better. Our our psalm says that what is beautiful and good is not isolation, but the mess of when brothers dwell together in unity. And so I want us to consider what it is specifically it is saying. Notice just that opening line, the thesis that we're already kind of highlighting, how delightfully good. This is beautiful, the psalm says. When when people who are different are able to know each other and get beyond the superficial, are able to live in each other's lives and find a way of harmony, it is delightful and that's what these two illustrations are meant to help us to see i've said before that one of the keys i think to reading biblical poetry is to recognize so much of the meanings in the images and so much of the way we're supposed to experience it is by imagining the images i will say this one's harder in that regard i tried in verse two to just like kind of enter into this idea of oil just kind of flowing down flowing down beard getting to my rope and i gotta say it didn't work for me it just kind of felt like greasy, just kind of imagining that. So here's, I think, maybe a way of thinking of it. So it's important to recognize that in that time, air, you know, like it was dry, it was dusty, it was hot. People didn't have showers because you didn't have plumbing. And so to have fragrant cool oil poured upon your head was something that could be life-giving, refreshing. It felt good. And, and so here's to me the equivalent. If you ever have been um, watching a kid, maybe it's your kid, maybe it's a friend's kid, playing soccer or baseball in the drizzle of 50 degrees, and the game just keeps on going and going, and every bone feels wet and cold, and you are shivering, and then you go inside, and you're able to step into a warm shower, and it feels so good. You know that feeling? I think that's what we're supposed, that kind of feeling is what this is supposed to imagine us. Just that warmth and sing. That's, that's the way when brothers are dwelling together and sisters are dwelling together, when the people of God are connected to each other in this way, it is refreshing. It, it gives life. And I think if we step back for a moment and think about moments where we've tasted this, where we've seen the way that connection can happen in the community, we we understand the image a little bit more. Actually, I think probably in our story right now in the last couple of years, we actually understand this image almost more from what we've been missing. COVID has cost us a lot in a number of different ways. And I think one of the biggest costs has been the way that it has pulled us apart. For many, many months, we have been threats to each other, which is just terrible. And, and I think at first, you know, like in March of 2020, where we were like, what is going on? There was kind of this sense of rallying. We can do this. There was kind of like, oh, this is interesting. I'm supposed to save the world by watching Netflix. And, and this feeling of, hey, this is slowing things down, and I'm able to spend time with family. And it was good. But, but over time, and maybe this is just my experience, My suge- I, I, I suspect it's many of ours, it got harder In some ways, it was almost like we felt colder and colder. We were more and more worn down, and we might not have even been able to put our finger on it, but what we were missing was the warmth of being connected with each other, of the life that happens when brothers and sisters dwell together in harmony. It's it's refreshing. It's life-giving. The second image that we have here, beginning in verse 3, is... communicating to us something similar. To understand it, you need to realize that these two mountains are in the very north and south of Israel. Mount, Norman, Mount Hermon was the tallest. It was It's snow-capped. You can still see it today. People, there's actually skiing hills in that area. It's tall, almost two miles high, plenty of moisture, Mount Zion, on the other hand, is shorter, it's far south, and it's practically a desert hill. And it depends on on some degree of moisture over the summer when you have the occasional day of dew that allows the flowers to bloom, it keeps the crops barely alive. And this is saying that that unity is like when all of the moisture and beauty of mount hermon is able to somehow be blown to mount zion and it's drenched in water and the flowers come bursting out and the crops are able to live this exchange makes makes things flourish and that also is something we have experienced there is something about all of our differences coming together that actually strengthens and causes to flourish Uh, if you know me well, you know that I I don't know tools very well. I don't know how to fix things very well. And you probably will know that because I've probably at some point or another asked for help in some area in house repair because I need it. And, and hopefully there are times where maybe I've been able to help you if you've been trying to understand something about Christianity or something like that. I, you know, hopefully I've helped in that way. The point is we, we bring things together. Some of us are introverts who are really good at listening. Some of us are extroverts who bring life to when the community comes together. Some of us have some understanding from one background and some of us have another standing from another background. And when we come together and share, we are strengthened God says that he has arranged every member of a community of of Christ in such a way that we all need each other. We flourish through each other's differences, which makes this unity worth it. And there's one more thing about what the psalm says about why it is worth the work, and that is not only does it refresh us, not only does it enable us to flourish, but this unity is sacred, so, it's not just anyone's beard that this psalm talks about. It's Aaron. If you don't know Aaron, he is the high priest. And there was a special anointing oil for the high priest that was considered holy. It was symbolic of God's spirit being at work on the priest. And notice, the dew is not just going to any mountain. It's Mount Zion. That was God's holy mountain Whereas it says at the end of our psalm, the place the Lord has appointed the blessing It's saying, when it's speaking of holy oil and the holy mountain, it's saying this unity, this togetherness is sacred in God's sight. It matters deeply to God. We see this clearly throughout scriptures. So Ephesians 1 talks about... How when we are brought to Christ, we come to understand what God's plan for the whole world is. And here's what it says. God's plan for the whole world is to bring everything together under Jesus. God's will is unity. Jesus, right before he goes to the cross, what does he pray for the church? He says, my prayer is that they would be one that they would be one even as we are one. When he's talking about as we, he's talking about between him and the Father. This is not superficial affinity-based Facebook unity. This is deep, tremendously deep unity. And that's what he longs for the church to experience. Unity, the unity of brothers and sisters living together is sacred to God. And I, I wonder sometimes if we realize this. We are in a time where the rhetoric is so overheated and there's so much fighting to be right. And sometimes the church can get swayed and we can be fighting to be right. And we can be criticizing others and we can be yelling. And, and I wonder if we realize how much it matters to God that we are unified. Not unified in a way that diminishes truth. It always is unity in truth. But if we fought with the same passion for learning how to dwell together as we have for learning how to be right, what would that look like? Our psalm says unity is worth the work because it is good and pleasing to God. And our psalm says something else. Not only is it worth the work because it is good, but this unity is worth the work Because it is possible. Which might actually be the harder piece to believe. I think probably most of us would go, yeah, if we could actually see brothers and sisters who are different, people of faith who are coming from different backgrounds, learning how to do the hard work of coming together and being united, that would be great. But we know how hard it is. We know how hard it is to learn to give ourselves to people who are very capable of hurting us. And we know in story after story of how people do get hurt as, as people try to come together. See, the reality is, um, by and large, whenever we try to forge some kind of unity, it has some degree of self-interest that fuels it. I, I join a community oftentimes because it makes me feel better. I feel connected to people. They like me. I like them. We have some sort of common purpose that makes us feel more united. And that's oftentimes why we are a part of a community. But, but here's the problem if, if self-interest is ultimately the glue that binds us together. What happens if someone comes in the community who's just a drain, just a drag, just, it makes it hard. What happens if I do something where I'm no longer in agreement with many people and somehow I'm offensive to people? What happens to that community then? The reality is that community that is founded on self-interest ultimately can get really ugly. And we know that. And that's why it's really important to recognize that not only does this psalm hold up for us the beauty of brothers and sisters dwelling, dwelling together in harmony, but it actually speaks of how this unity is made possible because this unity is a gift. There's this word that's repeated, it's translated in a few different ways, but it's all the same idea of descended. Descended. So verse 2, notice it says running down, running down. Literally, it's just coming down, descending. Or or verse 3, it's talking about the dew that is falling down, descending. Again and again, there's this idea of unity is like something that comes down from above. And the point is, this unity that we can experience comes from God. It's a gift. In fact, it's not just a gift. It is a miraculous gift. Think about the image that we talked about before. Mount Hermon is over 100 miles away from Mount Zion. How in the world would dew from one mountain somehow be transported all the way to another? It doesn't happen unless it's divine intervention, and that's the point. This unity that is such a blessing and that is so good is a unity that is only made possible through a miracle of God. It's a gift. When you place your faith in Jesus. Whether that's something that's happened or whether that's something you're considering in the future, for us, when we place our faith in Jesus, it's not just that as a result, our situation changes, where where, we're somehow made right with God again. We change. Jesus doesn't just save you from your guilt. He saves you from yourself. How often have we said the heidelberg catechism question and answer one what do we say what is my one hope in life and death that i am not my own when you place your faith in christ you stop belonging to yourself jesus has bought you with his blood and he is changing you so now self-interest isn't the only thing that drives you now you are learning more and more to live for jesus there's this new power of the love of jesus at work in you and as that is the case here's how things change you begin to relate to others differently You begin to relate to a community differently. Now it's not just how does this person make me feel. It's I want to serve this person because I know as I'm serving this person that is one of the ways I can serve my Savior Jesus. And now there's also this new love that is at work in us through Jesus where we just learn truly to love people who cannot possibly love us back in the way that Jesus has loved us. And over time, as that happens, a community is formed under a new force, a new power, and it is beautiful. I know it might sound like I'm speaking about something abstract, but, but we see it happening. If you know the story of Acts, you know after people come to Christ, what happens? Brothers and sisters live together in harmony, and it's beautiful. And it's not just back then. I, I can speak of this with confidence because I have seen it here. I have seen people where it would be way easier just to leave each other alone after conflict, working through the really hard stuff of getting along. I've seen people who, who come into a community who might be awkward, who might have a hard time in a number of different emotional ways being welcomed and learning to flourish. I have seen a depth of generosity towards me that I have no explanation for because it is so undeserved. And the real explanation is that Jesus is at work and the power of the Spirit is making what otherwise was impossible possible. Unity is good. But even more than that, this unity that is a messy unity which seems so impossible by our experience is made possible through the power of Jesus by his spirit and so so here is where this passage i believe is meant to take us it's it's where we begin our service that was quoted from at the very beginning in the call to worship where we are told as those who have been changed by the gospel to make every effort to maintain the unity that we've been given Make every effort, and then if we were to continue a few verses later, it would say, make every effort as we are working together to grow mature in that unity. Make every effort to hold on to and grow in this mature unity of brothers and sisters dwelling together. I've already mentioned a couple of times that one of the things that has grieved me over the last year and a half is how how we are being pulled apart as a society, but even we feel it to some degree as a church, pulled apart because we have to be far apart from each other, pulled apart because there's all this complexity of disagreements about everything related to COVID. And, and I'm grateful that I feel like God has brought us through it. He has sustained us. We still have ties with each other, but I know there are still cracks and fissures. I know that some of you right now feel more isolated and disconnected. I know that some of you who are maybe new to this church feel still like you're kind of on the outside looking in and we have not been able to unfold you as we would love to. And, and it grieves me. We just had a retreat, our elders, our staff. We are talking about it. We are praying about it because we believe this psalm. We believe it is delightfully good. It is God's holy calling for us to be a church that is beautifully united. And I want you to know we are are praying and working to think through, how can we repair the breaches, How can we be more connected again? And I want to ask you to be with us in this. There is a quote from a movie, or actually from a book, "Howard's End: "Only connect." I, I, honestly, I don't remember even where the quote comes from in terms of like the context. I'm probably using it wrong, but there's something about those words that kind of stick with me: "Only connect." We have been so pulled apart. I feel like it's even a spiritual battle that Satan has been at work pulling his church apart. And and I believe we are being called as we're being told of the beauty, beauty of togetherness, only connect, connect back to people, connect to each other. Would you please spend some time even this week praying for us as a church that we would be connected through the power of Jesus? and would you prayerfully consider what it looks like for for each of us to take a step towards each other and you know a few weeks we'll be talking about some of the structured ways of doing this about community groups and some of the other ways that we want to work to reforge those relationships but even now Allow your imagination just to go for a moment to think, what would it be for me to take one step towards connecting towards others in this church? Maybe there's someone that you notice is, is more disconnected. Maybe there's a newcomer you haven't gotten to know. Would you join with me in praying and following God's leading and moving towards connection? Because what our passage tells us, what all of Scripture tells us, is this gift of unity is made possible through Christ, and it is beautiful. It is worth the work i invite you even now to take a moment just in prayer um to be praying for what i've just said if, if if you would be willing to do so and then also if there's areas where you realize oh this is something that i have not i have not lived out maybe to use this as a time of confession as we seek together to honor christ in this way and then a couple of minutes time i'll lead us in prayer. so would you please pray silently with me